Thank you for listening to Coach Your Brains Out. The show is brought to you by our wonderful patrons, and we'd like to thank our newest patron, Mr. Karch Kirai. Thank you for supporting the show. To become a patron, please visit patreon.com slash coachyourbrainsout. Welcome to Coach Your Brains Out, the show that explores learning from the top minds in volleyball and beyond. With your hosts, John Mayer, Billy Allen, Andrew Fuller, and Nils Nielsen. We're excited to welcome to the show Dr. Kevin Becker. Dr. Becker is a professor at Texas Women's University, and he has a background in both motor behavior and sports psychology. Dr. Becker, thanks for joining us. Yeah, it's a pleasure to join you guys. Thanks for having me on. So we wanted to ask you about a new idea to us. It's known as a holistic focus of attention. Can you just start out by explaining what a holistic focus of attention is? Sure. So a holistic focus, the general concept of a holistic focus is I'm thinking about something. I'm thinking about kind of the general feelings or sensations associated with performing a task. Um, so the, the, the place we got the term is there's some related research comparing holistic goals to part practice goals. And so if I think about some, some examples of what a holistic focus might be, it would be in, in something like swinging a racket, it might be thinking about a smooth, um, a smooth swing. So the feeling of when, I, when I'm, for example, hitting a tennis ball really well, my swing just feels nice and smooth and easy. And so it would be thinking about what is that general feeling or sensation associated with the movement. And what are some of the benefits of having that, that uh, feeling focus, holistic focus? So, so this is a relatively new area of research compared to um, other research on an external and an internal focus. I think you guys um, have, have done some previous stuff covering that topic. And so it, it's, it's a little bit new right now. What we're finding so far is we, we see in a few different tasks a similar benefit to what we see with an external focus. So an external focus focusing on away from the movement and on the effects of the movement in the environment. So things like focusing on the target of where you want to hit something maybe. Um, we, we see in that literature the benefit of um, motor learning and performance. And so far in the holistic focus studies, we've seen a, a pretty similar benefit. Um, one of the things we're starting to look into a little bit more now is um, some of the maybe like neuromuscular things that are going on. So we've got a study we just completed in our lab uh, last spring that we'll be um, planning to submit to a journal soon where we're looking at in, in the performance of a, a bicep curl. Um, what's going on in terms of the electrical activity in the muscles measured through EMG. And so what, what we're finding there is for, for one in the task, again, we saw a performance benefit where people can generate more torque in the bicep curl exercise with a holistic focus than actually either an external or an internal focus. And we're also seeing a, a higher level of uh, EMG activity in the, in the biceps uh, without, without extra activity going on in, in the triceps. So we're not working against ourselves. Yeah, that was going to be my question is if with all the research and the benefits of external focus, like why have another place to put your focus, but it sounds like um, there are advantages uh, for the holistic focus, even over external focus. Yeah, so, so where we started really with this research is, um, you know, I, I've done quite a bit of stuff with an external and internal focus. And one, one thing I observed both as an athlete and as a coach and then now as a researcher is people don't always tend to focus externally. So we've got a number of studies published now of high level and skilled athletes in a variety of sports, um, asking them a little bit about when you're performing or when you're practicing sometimes, what is it that you focus on? And we give a really open-ended prompt so we're not 
forcing them into either the external focus or internal focus category. And frankly, there's a lot of things that athletes report that don't fit in either of those categories. And so my interest and the interest of the people I've been working with on this has been figuring out, so we, we know that external focus works really well, but are there other things that we can do too that give us an advantage? Because we, we don't want to discredit the experience of the leader skilled athlete if they're performing at a really high level and they're saying, I'm focused on this and that doesn't fit into the categorization of an external focus. Let's try to understand a little bit more what else might work. And so when I think about attentional focus research, we, we talk a lot about the external focus benefit. It's, it's a very consistent finding. But when we think about it, we're, what we're often trying to do is really avoiding an, an internal focus because we know some of the detriments that go along with that. And so the, the whole focus of this with me with looking at a holistic focus and some, some other ideas that we've had is figuring out, are there other things that we can do? Are there other types of cues that we can give athletes to help them achieve an optimal performance? If for one, maybe they, the external focus cues we're using aren't working well, or if maybe we're, we're performing a task that it's, it's a little bit more difficult to think about an external focus cue. So I guess, why do you think the giving athletes an internal focus has been shown to be detri detrimental? Um, yeah, I guess, I mean, so many coaches use it. So, so yeah, I guess, why does it hurt athletes? Yeah, I mean, so what the research points to, I, th I think there's two main themes. So the, the first theme really is that generally when we think about what we're trying to do in performing any type of a skill, but especially some of the advanced sports skills we might be performing, um, our body generally wants to self-organize. So our body's a self-organizing organism. And so if I'm thinking about an internal focus, if I'm thinking about the angle of my arm or extend, extending my elbow or whatever the cue might be in, in any type of skill I'm trying to um, perform, it, what happens is we get kind of the manual override. We're taking our, taking our body off autopilot and we're trying to control thing. So what happens with this is we see some disruptions in coordination. Um, the smoothness of the movement tends to go away. We get sometimes jerkier movements. And then the last thing, in addition to that, when in addition to the coordination going away, is that we see from some pretty good evidence across a number of types of studies that an internal focus gives us a more inefficient movement. And so that's been measured in two ways. So one way we look at neuromuscular efficiency in looking at the electrical activation um, through EMG measurements. We see some examples where in, um, in an internal focus, I can sometimes actually generate a higher level of muscle activation, but it doesn't translate to a higher level of torque and say, for example, like a bicep curl. And so one thing that goes on with that when in an internal focus we see in some studies using EMG is that rather than just turning on my bicep, if I'm focusing on um, flexing my arm, we tend to see in some studies higher activation in both the biceps and the triceps. So in that example, the biceps and triceps are opposing muscle groups and so you've got one muscle working against the other. And so, yes, I can generate more electrical activity in the muscle, but it's not actually helping me perform the skill. Um, so I, I think those are kind of the main findings that we see. You know, you're, you're mentioning of coaches using an internal focus a lot. Um, I completely agree with you. And, and honestly, that is the exact reason I got into this area of research is in my my first graduate class where I was exposed to this research. I, I mean, I didn't I didn't buy it. I didn't believe it. And um, 10 years later doing this research myself, I guess I'm, I'm sold now, but it's, it's really comes back to figuring out then how, you know, how can we make this work in the environment? Um, Cause there inherently might be times that I do need to give, give an internal focus to get someone on the right track with the movement we're trying to correct. 
Yeah, that was going to be my follow-up is, are there any times when you should be using or it's valuable to use internal focus, whether it's um, with maybe a beginning athlete or should we always be avoid it? So across, across the body literature, there, there really is none or almost no evidence that even with a really early athlete that an internal focus is going to help them. At the same time, from an applied perspective, I don't think that means don't ever use it. When we talk about the way that we're studying an internal focus and an external focus in, in the research world is we are giving the same cue throughout the entire practice, um, throughout the entire practice session. Sometimes that's one, one, a one-day practice session. Sometimes that's practicing over multiple days. Um, and we see pretty clearly in almost all the research that that hurts our performance, that hurts our learning. In, in the coaching world, I don't think that necessarily has to mean don't ever use an internal focus. When we think about how coaching plays out, if we see an athlete that has a technical error, sometimes depending on what they're doing wrong, we really might need to point out, this is, this is what you're doing wrong. I need you to focus on getting lower on your legs. I need you to get more, more bend in your arm. Whatever the cue is that's relevant for your sport. And so, and so I think it's okay to do that, but we'd want to get away from it as soon as we can. So again, the evidence in the research says when we practice with an internal focus throughout, we know that there's a detriment there. My, my personal perspective coming from more so the coaching side is if you see an error that needs to be corrected and you're struggling to correct that with externally focused language or with a demonstration or something else, if you feel like you really need to describe what's going on, that what that person needs to do to correct it, I would say go ahead and do that. But as soon as the athlete starts to get it, we want to get back away from that then because we know if we keep if we keep on the internal focus, that's not going to help us. But if that helps the athlete to understand what needs to change, I think it can be used very temporarily. And then once they're once they kind of get to a more um, corrected or a more proper movement, at that point you probably want to then transition back to an external focus or get them at least away from constantly thinking about that internal focus, the mechanics of what their body's doing. Yeah, that's a really helpful clarification. Because I think sometimes you get um, you know really theoretical. You read the research and okay, I'm gonna you know follow it to a T. But then you see this athlete who's doing something really blatantly, you know, maybe unhelpful in their movement um, and just saying, you know, pass there might not make the change or get them to do, you know, maybe it will long term. But, but I think what you said, that clarification of maybe just one time pointing it out and then let's get them back to it is I think it's really practical, really helpful. So good clarification. And, and I think there are other things that we can do. I, I think in a lot of times in coaching, we can challenge ourselves not to talk so much. We, we tend mm -hmm. to give a lot of feedback, a lot of instructions and cues. And so if I, if I come back to that scenario where I'm watching the athlete perform this skill and I, I see a glaring technical error that I don't know how to correct with an external focus cue, maybe I go for that temporary real quick internal focus to get them to understand the problem. But I, I, can, also think about, I can also think about things with demonstration, video feedback, and so with, with the ease of having video at practice now, I think it's it very sport to sport, but I mean, you're very often seeing a coach with the iPad or the phone right there at practice and turning the screen around and saying, here's what I see. And so when I see those technical corrections, I think sometimes it can work to really, really try to take the cueing out of it and say, here's what I'm seeing. You're doing this and then give the demonstration. I need it to look more like this. So you're doing this. I need it to look more more like this. I've given a, either a video or an in-person demonstration, and that should hopefully give the athlete an idea of what needs to change. 
And so maybe by seeing that, they, it clicks in their head and they can understand it. And without giving all this internally focused instruction, I can make the change. But, but again, sometimes you really might need it. And in those cases, I just recommend using it sparingly and in the short term. Mm -hmm. Is there a, a most effective way to use, say that, you, I don't know, you have an iPad or some sort of video feedback. I could see how that could maybe direct an athlete to be internal um, when they're seeing themselves. Maybe not, maybe you probably know better, but um, is there a way to make sure that you're keeping them maybe holistic or external uh, when, you're, when they're watching themselves again? Yeah, I, th I think you make a really good point there because when we, when we look at video, sometimes an athlete can really kind of microanalyze what's going on. And so, but by looking at the video, they might, they might see that this is doing and I'm, and they might inherently go after an internal focus. And so you, you may you want to be, maybe you want to be a little bit intentional with that and think about, think about how you're instructing them to look at it. And maybe, yeah, that, I think that's a real concern is making sure that they maybe understand um, what to do, what not to do. And I, I think, you know, we, it's okay to educate our athletes on topics like attentional focus and, mm -hmm. and to go in and say, you know, traditionally we use a lot of this cueing, but we recognize from a large body of research that this, that this isn't, the, this isn't the most effective thing for learning or performance. And so we want to challenge ourselves to move away from that. And so it's, especially as the athlete, getting them to understand that when I, especially maybe when I get into a pressure situation, if I'm falling back to a lot of internal technical language, that's not going to serve me very well. And so, uh, maybe pairing with something like video feedback, we want to help them to be aware to avoid things like that too. Yeah, it does seem like there's probably lots of areas in motor learning that your athlete might glaze over if you get into, I don't know, contextual interference or blockers random, maybe it wouldn't be as helpful, but external focus seems like that's one that we really want to have them understand the impact it makes, you know, when you put your focus in the most helpful place. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the you know, attentional focus is, you, know, you, you mentioned my background really is in sports psychology and motor behavior. And this more than anything is the topic that crosses back and forth over both those sides. If I think about on the sports psychology side, when I get into a performance, managing my thoughts is one of the most important things that we'd recognize with, with skilled performance. And so it, attentional focus fits into that. And so when I, when I get under pressure, one, one of the main theories of choking we have is that one of the reasons people choke is they go back and um, consciously process or kind of overanalyze the things that they're doing and, and want to say, okay, I need to make sure I do this and do this. And my arm should be here. My legs should be here. And so it's fitting in that internal focus element. And so I, I think personally, this can be a part of the athlete learning and refining their mental game too. Yeah. And probably the best way to heckle uh, an opponent is to try to give them a lot of internal feedback on huh? Billy can use that in his next competition. Yeah, there you go. I haven't, I haven't included that in my research yet, but I like that. <laughs> yeah, see if you can study that next. Uh, so I wanted to go into this, you know, I, I was first introduced to the holistic focus from a study you did on uh, long jump, where you compared internal, external, and holistic focus. And just wanted to share the cues. Uh, the external focus cue that you guys gave was focus on jumping as close to the orange cone as possible. The internal focus cue was focus on extending your knees as quickly as possible. And the holistic cue was focus on making your movement feel explosive. Uh, can you explain how the, the results were when, you know, the, um, I guess they weren't the athletes, they were the, what would be the right word? The, um, I mean, they were generally active kinesiology the, students. So okay. it's not, yeah, we'll not really an athletic population. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. What, what were the results? So, so, so in that study, the results, what we found, we, we chose the standing long jump task or a broad jump because it's a, 
it's a task that has produced really consistent results between an internal and an external focus. And so this, this was the first study ad, adding that comparison of a holistic focus. And so we wanted to choose a task that we, we knew we would be likely to see the effect in and um, with the other two conditions. So the results, what we found were um, similar to a whole bunch of other studies, an external focus resulted in longer jumps than an internal focus, uh, but a holistic focus also gave a benefit over an internal focus. So the general pattern was a holistic and an external focus led to a really similar jump distance between the two of them, only about two centimeters difference and not a significant difference. And then both of those conditions were um, led to farther jumps than an internal focus or the baseline condition that we use where there was no assigned focus. And so the, the differences were the differences were fairly large too. I think we were, if I, I don't have the results right in front of me, but I think we were at least about 10 centimeters difference between the two. And so if we think about things like combine testing, that's a that's a pretty major difference in, in a performance in a skill like that. And how do you come up with those cues? So, so the, the internal and external cues we used, we borrowed from previous research to be consistent with what it had been used before. Um, so we the internal cue focusing on extending your legs, I think I think from a coaching perspective, you might criticize, uh, sorry, focus on extending your knees is the cue that we used in that one. You could potentially criticize that. Why would you focus just on what the knees are doing in this skill? Um, we've, we've done some other studies, um, not with a holistic focus, but comparing an internal and an external where we instructed them to focus on ex, um, extending their legs in general and, and found a similar effect. So in, internal mm -hmm. focus generally from a research standpoint, we're just trying to find a cue that focuses on the movement of the body. So it, it fits the, the um, accepted definition of an internal focus. Uh, an external focus, depending on what kind of task you're looking at, we, we can have a couple different types of cues. Um, in the standing long jump, focusing on where you're trying to get to, um, kind of a target, is a really common one. And so knowing that knowing that everyone's going to jump a little bit different distance, uh, we just set a target out, I think, about three meters ahead of them, um, since that would be we understanding that nobody is going to jump that far. I, actually, I think we had it four meters. Um, so it's well beyond the limits of what anyone could jump, but just mm -hmm. instructing them to try to get as close to that cone as you can. And then in terms of coming up with the holistic cue, we're, we're really just trying to think about if we're thinking about if a holistic focus is defined as focusing on the general feeling or sensations involved with performing a task, what does it feel like to perform a standing long jump well? And so the, the cue that we selected there was focusing on feeling explosive because this is a, this is a very explosive type movement. It's a power-based movement. And that was a cue that we felt like represented the task. We've had a, we have one other study we published recently looking at a holistic focus in a balancing task. And in, in that study, we did not see a benefit, but part of why we think is we think maybe we didn't have a very good holistic cue. Uh, we're, in that study, we were looking at the balance task we used. You're standing on a wooden platform that is suspended from the center. So essentially, if I have too much weight on my left foot, the board is gonna quickly slant to the left. If I have too much weight on my right foot, the board is gonna quickly slant to the right. And so it's it's a very difficult task for for a novice who's not practiced it before. And um, our cue for that, the holistic cue, thinking about what does it feel like when you're balancing well, was to focus on feeling calm and stable. And so that may be a logical cue if you're if you're standing on the ground or a little bit a little bit difficult. But if you jump on this thing and you're bouncing back and forth, struggling to control, you're probably not feeling very calm and stable. And so that that was some of the feedback we got per participants there. But I think generally our approach to developing holistic cues has been to think about with this task, if I'm performing it really well, what does that feel like? Or what are the sensations that go along with that? 
And then for the study, how do you know if the jumper is actually focusing on the cue you gave? And I guess, is there a way for us as coaches to keep the athlete on the appropriate focus? Uh, so th this is a this is a challenge. It, it involves some level of trust, and we hope that our participants are paying attention. The way that we try to manage this in in experimental studies is one by making it very clear to, to the participant that the entire purpose of this study is to see if I'm thinking about this or I'm thinking about that. How does that impact my performance? It's not it's not a competition. It's not if you think that's a bad cue, you're going to use something else. It's the literal purpose of the experiment is to see how these cues impact performance. And so we try to make that really clear on the front end. And then on the back end, what we do is we, we use a compliance check. So in, in the particular study with the standing long jump, we had a, we had a question like while you, were, while you were performing that set of jumps. So when you were performing the jumps where we used a holistic focus, for example, uh, what percentage of the time were you focused on the cue that we gave you? And we asked them to score that from one to 100. Um, generally, in that study, we had we had very good self-reported compliance. We did have a couple people that um, reported very low compliance, and so we actually reported the manuscript removing them from the data set because we're trying to study attentional focus, and they're not focusing on the statement we prescribed. It's not really what we're studying. It'd be like doing a nutrition study where somebody didn't take the supplement that you that you gave them. So, it's a compliance is an issue. The second part of your question, in terms of what do we do as a coach? I think this this can be a little bit more challenging. Some some of my experiences in coaching and observing other people coaching, um, sometimes the coach is giving an instruction or a cue, and the athlete also has another idea of what they think they need to do. And so sometimes they, we have an issue with either they they ignore the coach and go do their own thing, or maybe they try to handle both things. And we know with research and attentional capacity, I'm not very good at thinking about more than one thing at a time. And so if I'm trying to think about your cue and my cue. I'm not likely to perform very well. Um, one, one thing I've used a little bit in research that I think is also applicable in coaching is, um, at least in the short term, in the practice scenario, um, sometimes the idea of using self-talk to direct your focus. So we, we had one study um, quite a few years ago now where we were using a dart throwing task where before each throw, we actually made people say the cue out loud and then take the throw. So if it's hmm. focusing on, I think our external focus cue was, one of them was straight dart path. So we made the participants stand there and say it and then throw the dart. And they, some of them really didn't like doing that, but we, it, we felt pretty clearly that they were focusing on the statement. And I don't know if either of you guys have ever heard of the book, The Inner Game of Tennis. It's yeah, a, great it's one. A, sure. It's become a classic. And that's, that was a strategy that was used um, specifically in that book. I can't remember the exact cues they used, but it was, it was something like when the ball landed on the ground, they were supposed to say Bounce. one thing and then, yeah. yeah. And then as they struck the ball, they were supposed to say another thing. Yeah. So I, I think there's a place for using something like that in practice, if you want to be really sure what people are doing, but it's when we get to the, when we get to the competition scenario and as we're preparing for the competition scenario, we probably wouldn't want to do that because we don't want to, we don't want to overload the person's attention, especially when they might need to pay attention to different things. And I think in a sport like volleyball, a lot of what you guys do is very reactive. And so if I'm, if I'm kind of overloading my mind with too much cueing, it might, it might hinder me from kind of freeing up my mind and just playing without deliberately focusing on anything. Yeah. I could see as a coach, um, especially with something like serving where we have a little more time uh, to, you know, set up your, your plan um, as a coach, maybe working with the athlete, Hey, you, maybe you can help me come up or we can together come up with a good holistic or external focus before you serve and have them, you know, maybe say it like as a mantra, 
and I think I did a lot as a player, you know, be aggressive here mm-hmm. um, or, you know, hit, hit your spot. Um, so I like that idea. I think it could definitely build off that. Yeah. I think, I think with the, especially with the coming up with holistic cues, uh, one thing that I've really liked, this is a, I mean, this is a out of a straight out of a sports psychology approach. Um, one of the guys I was lucky to be mentored by at, at university of Tennessee was Craig Risberg, who is, he's become, he's very, very well known in both the field of motor behavior and sports psychology now retired, but um, his, his approach to consulting was really about, you know, what are, when you're doing this really well, what's that like? So it's a, it's very open-ended phenomenological approach, but I, I think the same thing applies right here. So if I think about, especially with a skilled athlete, someone that's been doing this for a while, when, when you're serving really well, what's that feel like to you? What's, what's it like when you're serving really well? And then rather than you trying to come up with the coach with the holistic cue as a coach, I think that frees it up to the athlete's experience. And so then as the coach, you're listening to the things that you, that, that they say and, and picking out the things that picking out the things that maybe, maybe fit within a holistic focus or an external focus and, or just kind of a general cue that you think really is going to help them. And then, and then the next step is, is all right, let's go try that. Let's, I want you to see, so you mentioned when you're serving really well, it feels like this, or you're thinking about this, or this is what the experience is like for you. Let's go, let's go practice some serves and let's focus on that and see what happens. And so I think, I think that way you can try to get a cue that fits within the general scheme of what we're trying to accomplish, trying to get away from internally focused language, controlling what your body's doing, but still helping the athlete identify a cue that really makes sense to them. Yep. Billy, what does it feel like when you're serving really well? Uh, swinging free on the attack. Um, yeah. Swing so, free. so what I just heard, swing free on the attack, I, I would think about simplifying that a little bit down. And I, I might say, what about just thinking about the term free? So swinging free on the attack kind of generates a probably kind of a broad picture in your mind. And so, and so rather than thinking about even the action of swinging, I might shorten that down to the cue free because then you've got one word in your mind and especially, you know, as you're, as you're going through getting ready to serve one quick word like that, it's, it's going to be you saying the word free, which might not make any sense to anyone else, but in your mind, you know what that means. And you've got a quick, simple cue that's going to help you be ready as you go out there. Cool. Thank you for listening to Coach Your Brains Out. That was part one with Dr. Becker. Join us next week for part two.